0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest casting either side of the breach. Many factions vie for influence in Malafoe. The Guild, the Arcanists, the Resurrectionists, the Ten Thunders, the Neverborn, and outcasts of various stripes. But even the most powerful factions must bow to the whims of fate, Fate controls everything from the flight of birds to life and death itself. It is a nearly omnipotent force. And yet, fate is not immutable. Fate itself can be bent and twisted by those who understand its structure. Zoraida is one of the few people in Malafo who is able to play with fate. This of course makes her extremely dangerous. In today's story, the Guild discovers just how dangerous a rider can be, especially when she has a little help from some old friends. I hope you enjoy part one of Master of Fate, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Guild's Clerical Department. Looking for a rewarding office job working with Malafo's best and brightest? Why not join the Guild's Clerical Corps? Applicants must be willing to work long hours, swear undying loyalty to the Guild, and put up with mind-numbing tedium-slash-horror Extremely high turnover rates mean we are constantly in need of fresh recruits. Apply today.
1: Master of Fate by David Maguire. If a person wanted to lose everything they had, first their way, then their mind, and lastly their life, there was no better place to do it in Malifaux than the bayou. Maddened by stinging insects, ripped at by thorns that oozed a sickly sweet poison, and drained pale by leeches for days on end, the bayou might snap their ankle on a drowned root and leave them to the swarming things or deliver them to a more sudden end in the bellies of the patient gators. Or, if their fate was truly wretched, it might lead them by the end of their tether to the hut on stilts that squatted at the heart of the bayou, and the woman who lived there. Zoraida sat across from one such person now. He had come crawling out of the bayou just when fate had told her he would, too weak to call for help or even knock at her door. His name was Louis Carruthers, and his gambling debts were so bad, and the creditors even worse, that he risked the shack of the Swamp Witch to change his fate. It weren't fair, he had rasped. It weren't his fault. So many people, she mused, were blind to their mistakes. Not through stupidity, but a willful looking away from the consequences of what they had done. The lucky ones never got to know the full extent of their mistakes, Others tried to live long enough that the consequences no longer mattered. The rest ended up in her hut. They had played a hand of cards, as was promised to anyone who reached her alive. Win, the stories went, and the hag would reach into the threads of fate and alter them in your favor. He had lost. She knew he would, but she had tried to keep up the pretense, if only for his sake. Fate had sent him here for another purpose, and had been known to load the deck. Fate could be fickle, but was never, ever fair. Wide-eyed fear was taking hold in him as he realized what had happened, his wild gaze taking in the chicken's feet and other fetishes that festooned the ceiling of her hut, slowly swaying above his mud-streaked head. He had been a foolish man, the cards had told her, but not a cruel one. You can have one more game, Louis, my love, she lied giving him a gap-toothed smile. It would be better this way. Shuffle the cards. Have a drink, dearie, for luck. Then we'll play again. Swallowing his panic, desperate for any crumbs of comfort, Lewis knocked back the cup of moonshine in one gulp. Why, play. You, You could... His croaking voice, already weak trailed away as he gathered the cards with shaking hands. I could alter your fate. He stopped, pleading eyes fixing her. Please. She met his gaze and softly shook her head. Consequences. Fate did not have threads so much as iron bonds at times like these. She could feel them all around, constricting him like steel snakes. And her. Not yours and certainly not today." The cards fell from fingers she knew were quickly losing all feeling. The soporific was in the moonshine, of course. He slumped as the effect spread, but desperation roused one last fight in him. "'What—what's the bloody point of you, then?' he said, slurring his words. "'Have pity. They say you were human once. Once. She dropped her eyes to the cards he had spilled on the table. The Midnight Garden. The Soul Stone. The Path of Destiny. Those cards were aimed at her, not him. She swept them off the rough-hewn table with one gnarled hand. How dare fate toy with her? Today of all days. Would a human have lived as long as I? She spat. Would a mere human be entrusted with the paths of fate of an entire world? But he was unconscious now, and her bile ebbed away, leaving a bitter taste. She rose, ancient limbs crooked beneath her, painful joints flaring anew. Bitterness and pain, so common she barely noticed them anymore. Would any human want that? She rasped quietly. She looked him over with patient resignation. His role in this affair was nearly over, she thought, although hers was just beginning. Was that a flash of envy? Surely, if she was ever justified some self-pity, it was now. But no, it would not do. Her half-dead visitor's last act would be to help her test her new magic. She did not relish the prospect, however. He stank like a cesspool. Fate often left out little details like that. She rubbed her clawed hands together to warm some life back into them, and set to work. Lilith's path through the bayou was clear and untroubled, and it led wherever she wanted to go. Mud hardened into firm dirt seconds before her bare feet touched. Tangles of briar-like matted hair eased out of her way on an invisible breeze not catching a single thread on the rich wool check cape she'd taken as a trophy from the last human she'd killed. Trees knotted by the bayou's poisonous, steamy air into angry, painful shapes creaked aside before returning to their soil in her wake. This land was hers. This world was hers. Her greatsword was reassuringly heavy in her hand, its edge hungry for blood as her black eyes flicked from side to side in a predatory gaze. Passing a towering blood tree, the broad leaves flew after her in flowing ribbons and arranged themselves to form a tunic and pants under her cape. The green of the leaves was so dark as to appear black, and it made their bright crimson veins all the more striking. The cool foliage tickled her skin. With a thought she added some strapping in loose bark from a cinder tree the color of charcoal and a belt of twisted black moss sprayed with dark red flowers leapt to her waist from atop a sun-warmed rock. With a spring in her step, she passed over the body of a dead thing and then stopped to look back at it. It was a cotton snake, scorched and blackened, as was the red soil around it. It lay beside a small pond, its surface coated with a thin layer of ice, dead leaves and detritus frozen in place and already thawing in the heat of the swamp. Ice in the bayou She shook her head and carried on. The hag was doing magic again. Powerful magic to spill this far from the hut, Lilith thought, as roots rose from the bottom of a pool to form a bridge for her. A clearing opened up where none had been before, and there was the hut. It reminded her of the old woman who lived there, in a way, all unnecessary angles and fussy decoration. It was as bent and lopsided as the rider was, And no matter what direction she came at, the hut with its windows-like eyes was always looking right at her. You never got the drop on Zoraida. Which was why she was puzzled when the door did not creak open just as she arrived. She had been invited. Actually, she had been summoned. But Lilith had chosen to overlook that insolence so far. Irritation swiftly blackened to anger, and she pushed the door wide. She was taken aback to see the rider slumped on a stool and a filthy human with dark hair standing over her. The human, a male, gave Lilith a cursory glance, nodded her a greeting. A greeting? And then turned his back on her. He actually turned his back on her. Lilith was the terror that kept the humans huddled in their homes and around their fires at night, fearful of the monsters that lurked in the dark. They ran when they saw her. They screamed. Mostly they died. They did not turn their backs. She hissed, her infamous fury erupting, and then, as he turned in alarm, skewered him on the point of her sword. Another thrust severed his spine, and she casually lifted him off his feet, letting him slide down the blade towards her, sheets of his own red blood lubricating the shining steel. Another interloper from the other world dealt with, "'although it was just a shame none of his vermin kind were around to bear witness. "'Damnation, Lilith! It's me!' he gasped. "'And then his eyes rolled back, and his head lolled. "'Zoraida sat up like a puppet whose strings had been jerked. "'She reached forward, snagged something made of knotted cloth from the dead man's raggedy clothes, "'and wagged a bony finger at Lilith. "'Always hasty!' If you had done that when we first met, we'd be in a pretty pickle now, wouldn't we? Lilith frowned, her anger departing as swiftly as it had come. More swamp magic, no doubt. I was more forgiving in those days. Zoraida eased herself off the stool and busied herself, gathering things from the bundles, bunches, jars, and pots scattered around the hut. While you're here, at least... You came? Yes, I came, even though my sister is agitating again and stirring up the Nephilim from Darkhearth Halls, some of them nobility who still follow the old ways. And now the younger ones are out raiding when I call for them, which means I have to... Lilith put a hand to her temple, rubbing it. Never mind. You will tell me why you called for me. You can put him down rider said, measuring something pungent and dark. "'I'm done with him, poor sod, and he's dripping all over the floor. Let my gators have him.' Lilith took a step and whipped her arm so fast it was a blur. The dead man's corpse soared through the clearing. It landed with the crunch of breaking ice, and a dead hand flopped onto a frozen reptilian snout. "'I think their appetites have cooled,' "'Lilith observed, and shut the door. "'Pandora really did not care for the bayou. "'It was not the sucking mud, the steamy heat, and the poisonous insects. "'It was the lack of people. "'There was no one to play with in the bayou. "'Not like the city, with its teeming crowds of people "'all frothing with emotions and feelings "'that she could drift through like a bee amid blossoms.' alighting here and there to take in the nectar. In the bye it was just her and her beloved box, and although she and the box could have perfectly interesting conversations for hours on end, she was never bored, thank you very much, there was nothing around to test out some of the things the box suggested. But on her way to answer the rider's call, she had been lucky enough to come upon two of the swamp dwelling gremlins, busy setting traps for their dinner. Gremlins were not, on the whole, a self-reflective species. The typical gremlin did not put much store in contemplating its position in life, as it were. On the positive side, though, the typical gremlin had all the emotional stability of a great aunt on the Christmas sherry. It was not much challenge to open the box a crack and give them both a nudge towards low spirits and self-hatred, two emotions Pandora considered herself an expert in a nudge that soon became a hearty shove into outright despair and self-harm as Pandora circled their camp. She had wanted to see how the smaller one would manage to kill itself using only a bow and arrow, but the larger one, howling in misery and self-loathing and attempting to shoot itself in the head, had missed and taken the smaller one right in the chest. With no more bullets left, the larger one was trying to goad a wild animal into attacking it, but it had chosen a not particularly carnivorous frog for this, and time was marching on. Pandora was not sure how long it would take a gremlin to be gummed to death, and had no real interest in finding out. She missed the city. It said a lot about Zoraida that she would live in such complete isolation. Not never born, but no longer human either. She lived apart from everyone and everything. And not in a pleasant wilderness, but somewhere uncomfortable and dangerous. It was like she was trying to punish herself. It would drive Pandora mad. Madder, whispered the box, and Pandora suspected a mischievous little smile. She used the life energy stolen from the doomed gremlins to spirit herself the rest of the way to Zoraida's hut, and went in without knocking. Lilith, imperiously tall, sharp-featured, and with a kind of piercing gaze reserved for vengeful angels, was already there. Zarida, too, of course, crippled and hunched in her patchwork rags, all secret wisdom and side glances, as she busied herself around her home. Lilith's aura boiled with black magnificence, her anger a halo of darkness that fizzed and spat, and was something Pandora always thrilled to see, and to play with as she could get away with it. Zarida was, as always, far harder to read. The Swamp Witch's mind was unlike any Pandora had ever seen, shielded and barred behind mental gates and blocks. Nothing true showed on the outside. It was what had earned Pandora's respect when they'd first met, so long ago. A steaming cauldron stood between her and the other two, and Pandora wrinkled her nose. "'We have to stop meeting like this,' she said. "'Are we cursing someone? Can it be Boyle's?' Can I choose where they go? Zoraida stirred the contents with a stick. Something gray and woolen broached the surface. Sock day, she smirked. Boils are Tuesdays. Zoraida has explained it to me, Lilith interrupted, planting her sword in the timbers before her. Always straight to business. Pandora cocked her head, unable to decide if Lilith's wilderness ensemble was on the right side of Forest Hobo or not. I will save time and put it in my own words. A new breach is opening tonight. So? Pandora added a tiny mental insult, Barb, just to watch the sparks on Lilith's aura as it hit home. Such an easy target, she really shouldn't. There are enough of those. Not like this, Lilith scowled. This one connects one part of Malifo with another, and both ends can be moved with the right magic. And the end Zoraida has learned of is opening right in the middle of guild headquarters, in the heart of the city. They will seize it and control it, and be able to move around this world at will. Pandora frowned. This might actually be worth taking seriously. She hated that. Guild forces, able to walk right into our strongholds with no warning, Zoraida said. She tapped a finger to her head. I have seen it. They will spread over these lands like the disease they are, Lilith growled. I will not permit that to happen. But what can we do about it? Pandora asked. Even if three of us, with every Neverborn and Nephilim we could raise this night, would be cut down? The Guild Enclave is a fortress. She glanced at Zoraida, who was smiling again. But you've already thought of that. And tested it on poor Lewis just before you arrived. Zoraida held up a strange scrap of cloth, a twisted fetish in human shape. I've placed one of these inside the guild. A focus for the spell. I can send us there, but... She held up a drama queen finger that made Pandora wonder just how long-winded an explanation Lilith had sat through before Pandora arrived. Not our bodies, just our souls. What use will that be? The spell will put us in the bodies of whichever humans are closest to it. We will walk unseen among them and take control of the breach at the moment it opens. The spell was ready. It had been ready for several minutes now, but Zoraida checked the components again. There were only so many times she could do it and still pretend to herself that she was not deliberately delaying. She had lied to Lilith and Pandora about what they were doing. But she should stop lying to herself. Brace yourselves, she said, fixing the other two with a steely glare. Behind her, powdered bones ignited, and soulstones flared into life. We'll be among the enemy the instant we arrive, but we must not strike out. This won't hurt at all. She really must stop. The dim interior of the hut dissolved into a whirlpool of all the colors and Pandora felt a disconcerting tug at her innards, as if they were unspooling after some fast-flying harpoon. For a second, nothing. And then she was hurtling away, carried off at speed she could not imagine through endless swirling color. She blinked once, twice, and a third time there was a human looking at her. Was that all? he asked. She was indoors. A long, dark room. Low timber ceiling, brick walls, and lots of cheap-looking furniture she could not work out the uses for. A large steam boiler hissed and rumbled in shadow. One grimy window looked onto a crumbling brick wall. Gas lamps flared and spitted behind stained covers. Voices came through a closed door, muted conversations. She smelled dampness, wax polish, stale steam, old coffee, pipe smoke, and the overpowering smell of humans. The man in front of her stood. He had been seated with his back to the far wall. Then I'll thank you for your time, sir, he said. His aura was funereal greys, laced with despairing yellows and defeated greens. What had just happened, and why had she missed it? The man took a set of keys out of his waistcoat pocket, walked forward, and put them on her desk. She had a desk. She was sitting at it. Her fingers were stubby, old and rough, and the tips were blue with old ink. The man had reached the door now. He stopped, head bowed. "'Want I should send the next one in, sir?' "'Sir Ryder! Lilith!' She stood, her chair clattering to the floor behind her. The height was all wrong, and her head spun for a moment. She was too short.' Her balance was all off and her hips were strangely stiff. Also, her back hurt. There was another human sitting at another desk just behind her. She was young and dark-skinned, with a bony, determined face and a fussy, prim look about her. She had no aura Pandora could see. The woman put a secretive finger to her lips and called over her shoulder to the man at the door. When we're ready. Off with you now. The door closed behind him with a click. Zarida! Pandora whispered, ready to strike if she was wrong. Aye. Pandora, is it? There was no one else in the room. Where's Lilith? The young woman, Zarida, hunted around her own desk for a moment and snatched up an envelope. From inside, she took a figure made of knotted cloth. That must be the focus she had mentioned. Lilith! Pandora called. Ignoring Zoraida's attempts to shush her, she rounded on her. Why wasn't she in that human who'd just left? There's no one else in the... Her eyes settled on a green glazed pot on Zoraida's desk. Inside it, a Venus flytrap waved its fronds. She exchanged a slow look with the young woman. Zoraida, she said, her voice low and serious. Your spell... It did specify humans. Zerida stared, her mouth opening and shutting. It should have. I mean... She gave Pandora a helpless, pained look. I don't know. Pandora prodded the plant, and the fleshy fronds closed over her finger with, she thought, an arrogance and furious haste. Oh, no. Lilith? <laughs> Hard brick behind her, and a throng of noisy, reeking humans in front of her, Lilith's first instinct was to cut them down. Her hand was already raised when she caught herself, and remembered her situation. As she lowered it, she noticed with some relief she was holding a stout wooden club. At least she would not face them unarmed. The body she was in was a woman by the feel of it, but she was tall, and, for a human, powerful. With a start, she recognized the uniform. She was wearing the clothing of their guild militia, a guardsman. She was an authority figure. The thought brought a smile, which felt odd on her unfamiliar face. Her role in this society was to beat humans with impunity. She arched her back and stretched her limbs, testing her new body. When could she start? Ahead of her, long lines of humans snaked away from desks and countertops, staffed by more of the same. The room was long and broad but hot and humid from the sheer numbers, and louder than a Nephilim feasting hall when the young ones were let in. She walked several paces and grabbed the collar of the man nearest to her. Zoraida? she hissed. The man shrunk away from her. No, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. I didn't do it, ma'am. Useless. She gave him a blow across the shoulders with her club anyway and grabbed the next nearest, but the woman did exactly the same. Pathetic. She would have to pummel a Nephilim near senseless to get cowering like this from it. What kind of war was it when your enemies simply evoked disgust? She turned to the wall she'd been standing against. Pandora and Zoraida must be on the other side of it, no doubt looking for her. She approached a dumpy, ill-kempt human wearing a similar uniform to her own, and jabbed at the bricks with her club. What lies beyond that wall? The man frowned at her, an expression of bored uselessness on his bearded face answer. What lies beyond? He blinked and blurted out. Personnel and welfare, you know, hiring and firing. You will show me the way. As he bristled, she realized she was probably exceeding her assumed authority. Where authority failed, force prevailed. She snatched his club from his belt and snapped it in two. Interesting, she thought. She still had some of her native strength she tossed the broken end far off across the crowd. A moment later a cry rose above the hubbub and a man dropped from sight like a stone. Fixing the guard with her gaze, she jammed the handle back in his belt. Show me the way or I will holster that somewhere else about your person. Lilith shouldered her way past the line of men in the hall. The line ended at a door, and, as the guard had said, it read, Personnel and Welfare. She went in. A short man with ruddy flesh spilling over his white collar, and a young woman with hair pulled back into a severe bun nearly walked into her. The room was otherwise empty. Lilith, the man said in a surprised voice. He turned to his companion. Her aura, it's her. Oh, thank goodness, the woman sighed, then held up a hand. It's us, Lilith. I'm Zoraida. He's Pandora. Where were you? Pandora asked. The other side of that wall. So many humans. Why are you holding a pot plant? Lilith demanded. No reason, Pandora said, handing it to Zoraida, who put it on a desk. Now we're all here. Where will the breach open? And when? We don't have long, Zoraida said, and we need to move fast, Lilith. She removed her scarf and handed it to her. Stuff this into the third pipe from the left on that boiler, then turn all the wheels to the right. Then give your gun to the first man in the queue outside, along with this note. She handed it over. Tell him if he does this for you, you'll see he keeps his job. Why do I... No questions, no time. Zoraida was already holding the door open, her face anxious. Just do it. Lilith folded her arms. And is there anything else you need me to do? Some cleaning, perhaps? Your socks? Damn it, Lilith, I'll be right back. Just stay here and act human. Pandora, deal with the men outside. Their files are right there. Lilith either shut up and look menacing, or... She tossed her a pencil. Do some paperwork. Lilith caught the pencil and flung it right back in one fluid motion. But the door had already closed, and the point embedded in the wood. She imagined it buried deep in the hag's head and then stalked over to the boiler, muttering curses. Zoraida found she did not need to hurry. Her new body was long-legged and youthful, straight-backed and head aloft, and it ate up the halls and stairwells of the guild. She may be in another's body, but the threads of fate were just as visible to her as they had always been. She could see what was going to happen, and how she could influence it just enough so that what should happen did. That, after all, was the point of her. She walked head down into a bustling kitchen, tucking the cloth focus out of sight under a warm teapot on a service tray and walking back out. On her way, she tipped a china pepper mill off a countertop in one seemingly oblivious swipe. It hit the ground and rolled into the throng of chefs. She heard a curse, a thud, a clamor of clattering cutlery, and then a large man toppled backwards into a serving girl who dropped the tray she was carrying. Tea and crockery burst all over the floor. Amid the recriminations, she smiled as she heard a voice order the girl to take the tray by the door instead. I'm David Way, sir. The human was young, rake thin, and earnest looking. Mr. Way, Pandora said finding the file with the same name. A note was pinned to the outside and someone, probably herself, had typed Terminate Employment on it. She read this out to him and told him to go and send in the next one. By the tyrants, but this was dull. Lilla sat hunched with her back to her, wielding a huge rubber stamp like a club and beating form after form into ink-stained submission. She was no fun, and Pandora missed her box. It was still back in the hut in the bayou. She had found a wooden box in a drawer labeled Expenses, Rejections. And she held it now in her lap. But it wasn't the same. But the human-oh, my, the human! Huge waves of shocked purples and delicious, agonized reds were crashing around him. She stared at him. What was this? It's-it's not just me, sir. He was saying amid huge sobs and peals of yellow despair that tasted like sunbeams to Pandora. Yes, my family, and me mam's sick. This was more like it. Pandora got herself comfortable, and hoped that Zoraida would take her time in coming back. They will surely suffer greatly, Mr. Wayne. They will starve and be thrown out in the street. But this is nothing if not your own fault. I'm sure you see that. She was delighted to see that she could influence his emotions nearly as well as she could in her own body. And she reached into his soul and started to play. Tell me, Mr. Wayne, tell me how that makes you feel. By the time the man left, he was a shaking, empty wreck. Pandora had been going to suggest he depart by means of the window, but they were on the first floor, and it simply wasn't high enough. He'd find one that was... "'Send the next one in,' she called after him gleefully. Lilith hammered the stamp so fiercely dust fell from the ceiling, and Pandora spun on her chair, clutching the expenses box to her chest and kicking her legs. "'We're closed for lunch,' Zoraida said to the man at the head of the much-diminished queue, and went in, closing the door behind her. Pandora was practically glowing with malicious delight, and Lilith had a look on her like a storm cloud about to burst. Time to move on. We need to leave, Zerida said. This way. She hurried over to the boiler, which was making some very unusual noises. The ceiling was hazy behind layers of excess steam. About time, Lilith said through gritted teeth, close on her heels. Pandora trotted over, sporting a bratty pout, which did not suit the heavy set male face she was wearing at all. You did well, little one, she whispered to the wooden expenses box she was carrying, stroking its lid, and not for the first time Zoraida wondered about her hold on reality. Lilith cast around. There were no doors in this part of the room, of course. How do we leave, she demanded, as the boiler rattled and started to whistle. Magic boiler, Zoraida said. What? Lilith had to raise her voice. It's not magic! If I didn't know any better, I would say it's about to exp... The room dissolved into a vortex of color, and with a taut cable tugging just behind her belly button, Zoraida blinked once, twice, and was back in her hut. All three of them were back in their own bodies again. For some reason, being in another's skin made ignoring the complaints of her own body that much harder when she returned. It was one reason she disliked doing it so much. Old finished Lilith. She slammed a fist against the ceiling beam, sending the fetishes rattling. You should have warned me. Did we just die? Pandora asked, patting herself all over in alarm. Those bodies were too low-level and unimportant to get to the part of the building we need to be in, said Zarida, prepping another round of the spell. But the focus I made is on its way there right now. Encourage yourselves, ladies, we're about to go back, and we're really going to be in the thick of it."
0: That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for the conclusion of Master of Fate on Tales of Malifaux.